If you're looking for a way to be a helper during this time, truly one of the best ways to get involved at Mental Health Association Oklahoma is to make a donation. Anything will help us continue to serve our participants during this difficult time. So visit Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Facebook page and donate on the COVID-19 Relief Fund or go to mhaok.org and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Once again, this is not someone else's problem. This is our problem. And I hope that with the film and the book that we'll start to realize that, you know, this is not something we could ignore, neglect and abandon any longer. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. Today, our guest is psychiatrist and award-winning documentarian, Dr. Kenneth Paul Rosenberg. So Dr. Rosenberg has directed and produced a new feature-length documentary called Bedlam, which will premiere on Independent Lens Monday, April 13th at 9 p.m. Central Time on PBS, PBS pbs.org, and the PBS video app. And just one more quick note. So Circle Cinema here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, has partnered with Mental Health Association Oklahoma to invite you to the first ever Indie Lens pop-up virtual screening with live chat of Bedlam. And so this national screening will feature Bedlam on Tuesday, April 14th at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. You can click on the link in our show notes to go to that and to RSVP. And, you know, this is your opportunity to um, participate in a virtual chat with Bedlam producer Peter Miller and Dr. Ken Duckworth, who is the chief medical officer from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So I know you're going to love this movie. Bedlam explores the historical, political, and economic forces that have brought about the greatest social crisis of the 21st century. While weaving in Dr. Rosenberg's personal journey, which was profoundly impacted by a family member with a serious mental illness. Filmed over five years, Bedlam brings us inside one of America's busiest psychiatric emergency rooms, into jails where psychiatric patients are warehoused, and into the homes and homeless encampments of members of our communities with serious mental illness where silence and shame often compound personal suffering. Bedlam follows Dr. Rosenberg's book with the same title published by Penguin Random House. The film and book feature over 100 interviews with mental health experts and 100 interviews with patients and families. So with all that being said, Dr. Rosenberg, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Mac. Great to be here. I have a million questions and we have limited time. And so I want to give you a platform for you to talk to an audience, which, you know, our audience is mostly mental health advocates. Um, a, A lot of us have family members who have been directly affected by mental illness. So, you know, if you are on a stage at a conference, you know, I really want you to give that message to them. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, mental health and the lack of mental health care particularly for people with serious mental illnesses. That's 4% of the population. That's people with schizophrenia, serious bipolar disorder, suicidal depression, severe personality disorders, is our greatest social crisis. I mean, as a society, as a profession, I'm a psychiatrist practicing in Manhattan, we have really largely abandoned our sickest patients. We have really let them languish in the streets, die in the jails, as everyone listening probably knows. The jails now are our de facto asylums. It's where people go now since deinstitutionalization, which happened for the best of reasons. That's tearing down the asylums in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. 
since that time, we've really not deinstitutionalized people, we've transinstitutionalized people, we've put, taken them from one bad institution to a much worse institution, the jails, the prisons, and the streets. And I think we've largely abandoned those folks. You know, we're now in the midst, as we speak, we're in the midst of a terrible crisis, COVID-19 crisis, uh, really horrible for many, many people, uh, a lot of tragedy in the world. But I think that it's probably, you know, particularly difficult for those people who are ser have serious mental illness. They're not getting the treatment they need. You know, we're, we are all kind of bored as hell because uh, at the best, we're bored as hell because we're, uh, you know, sheltering in place. Well, if you have a serious mental illness and you're homeless, you have no shelter to, to put in place. So um, I think that now more than ever, we realize that there is, as we say, no real health without mental health. And particularly in the light of the COVID crisis, I think we all realize that because of the stress. And if you put a serious mental illness on top of that stress, you can only imagine what, you know, 4% of the population is dealing with. And by the way, when I say 4% of the population, it's a very strict definition. That's people with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, uh, and severe disorders. But it doesn't include the 15% of people who have, who have substance abuse. They're not included in the serious mental illness. So you know, when you look at it in a broader way, you know, nearly 20% of the population has some serious encounter with mental illness that needs to be addressed. And 15% of us on a good day, not to mention these very, very challenging days, 50% of us on a good day need some psychiatric care at some point in our lives. So once again, this is not someone else's problem. This is our problem. And I hope that with the film and the book that we'll start to realize that, you know, this is not something we could ignore, neglect and abandon any longer. Yeah. Um, I don't want to ruin the film for anybody who hasn't seen it. So I'm not going to ask you too many specific questions about um, the people that are in your film. But do you, I mean, are you thinking about Monty and Johanna and Todd where they are right now and what their situation with COVID, you know? Yes, of like, course I am. I'm constantly thinking about it. And uh, Monty, I know where he is. He's actually in a pretty good place. Uh, Patrice got a, uh, again, we, it's a spoiler alert, but uh, maybe people will listen to this after they watch the film or read the book. <laughs> uh, and Patrice got a, 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 you know, an ability to, um, she is his conservator. So she has put him in a hospital and he's actually in a good place. I visit him twice or maybe three times since he's been there. So Monty is in a good place, thank God. Uh, and he's doing very, very well. He's just, as you know from the film and the book, he's just an incredible person. Johanna's doing pretty well too. Johanna and I speak every few days. Um, she's, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, she, she also has a conservatorship from her dad and she's, she's doing pretty darn well too. Uh, Delada, the young girl, is doing very, very well. I speak to her frequently. I saw her screening oh, yeah. not too long ago in Los Angeles. Um, Todd, unfortunately, I have not been able to find Todd. The last time I saw Todd, I went to Skid Row and walked up a flight of stairs in SRO, uh, single, single room occupancy kind of situation, and could not really, you know, he was not doing well. And I've not been able to track down Todd since then. You know, he has a serious mental illness. He has no family to speak of. He has few resources. I'm sure Todd is struggling now, and I, I hope to find him soon. Yeah. Um, so, in working for a nonprofit, I work with our media relations, and I tell our stories. You know, there's a lot of people that I have met, and I've been there for about nine years. There are a lot of people who I've met, just as you found, who are amazing people, 
and, you know, you meet them and you know that they've been through darkness and, uh, you know, you meet them at a period of time when, you know, maybe they're, they're doing really good. But then, you know, when you do check back in with them as recovery is, it's a, you know, it's an up and down Absolutely. wave. Um, and that's, I think that's one of the most profound things about your film is that you are very transparent and you follow them over many years of uh, their lives and they, you see their ups and downs. It's not just a snapshot of they are in crisis or they are in recovery. You see the whole spectrum of what, what mental illness and homelessness and substance use and the criminal justice system, what it does to people. And so I thank you for that portrayal and our organization. We talk a lot in uh, about people first language, you know, people with mental illness, people experiencing homelessness. And, and all of, and that really comes down to seeing the humanity in people and your film shows the humanity. And I think that is so important, especially for when lawmakers see this film, when uh, criminal justice stakeholders, all the people that are going to, we have to convince to make those changes. They're going to remember Monty and Johanna and Delilah and, and, um, Todd, you know, they're, and Dr. McGee, you know, um, you know, the, the, these amazing advocates and, in, in your film that you, that you portray. And so you have really, um, and, and Patrice, you know, the, um, Monty's sister, I mean, goodness, what a remarkable woman. And that, yeah. you know, founded the black lives matter movement and Largely, while yes, you were making yes. this film, you know, yeah. it's great. You say that because I thank you so much for those compliments and it means a lot to me, Matt. Um, but you know, we originally were going to make the film about life in an emergency room and we were going to spend about a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two in an emergency room. And that was going to be that. But I realized very quickly that that was not the way to tell the story. The way to tell the story was to follow these people over the course of four or five years to really know the ups and downs of their lives, what gets them in trouble, you know, what helps them survive, um, what the system does for them and how the system works against them and how uh, half of them end up, end up in the criminal justice system. Uh, we didn't intend for that to happen. We just picked four or five people in the emergency room and we chronicled their lives. But I think that it's fair to say their lives, difficult as they are, are fairly typical of people now who are getting treatment for serious mental illness. And the problems are multifactorial. The, you know, it's in the system. It's in our, our willingness to criminalize and incarcerate people with serious mental illness. Uh, it's in the lack of research. You know, uh, in the past 15 years, there's been a 90% decrease, 90 percent decrease new drug trials for schizophrenia. Well, that's really insane, no pun intended, because schizophrenia has not exactly gone away. So there's a lot that needs to change. And, and I think that in order for us to demonstrate what needs to change, we've really had to follow people for a while and talk about the problem. You also mentioned Patrice and, and Dr. McGee, who turn out to be great heroes in the film, and also Dr. Dias, who turns out to be a great hero. We didn't pick people to be heroes. We just you know, followed a, a doctor and a sister. And, and Monty's sister, who, as we see in the film, uh, co-founds Black Lives Matter, really, for Monty and for people like Monty, uh, a story that America does not know. Uh, we didn't intend that to happen. When I met Monty's sister now seven years ago, she said, I'm an activist. There are some things I want to do. I was like, good for you. I hope you have some luck. But we're going to film you, you know, regardless of whatever that, that happens. And because uh, we really are not interested you know, you per se, but you happen to be the sister of someone in our film. And lo and behold, Patrice in our film 
over the past seven years has, I think it's fair to say, become the nation's number one mental health activist. Uh, really, you know, single-handedly almost, uh, with support from many, many brilliant people. She spearheaded stopping a mental health jail in Los Angeles, the $3.5 billion jail, and is pushing Los Angeles more towards community mental health. So, you know, these things have really kind of transpired in the, in the course of making our film, oddly enough, with our subjects themselves, you know. I, I'm so excited for journalists and for lawmakers and everybody who sees this film to see that Monty inspired, you know, was played a key role in the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, that that is so powerful because nobody knows that. So, thank you. Uh, lots of thank yous. Okay. Um, we've got about five minutes left. So, I want to dole out my questions carefully. So, I think the big thing is what, you know, if I, if I give you the magic wand and I say, you know, you can fix this, these systems, and I'm sure you get this question a lot. I know you're probably going to talk about early intervention, which I appreciate you talking about in the film that you, you know, uh, Dr. Diaz says that, you know, we have to have early intervention. That is key. Um, but I'm giving you the magic wand, man, and you're going to fix the system. What do you do? Well, it's a great question. You know, it's sort of like if you had three wishes, what would you wish for? And the best <laughs> yeah. answer would be I wish for 100 more wishes. But actually, I, that is my answer, in fact. Because I think there is one single thing that could change this. One single thing that could change this. And that's exactly what you're doing, Matt, frankly. That's advocacy. There's people standing up and saying, it's my sister, it's myself, it's my family, and we're not going to take it anymore. Um, it's not, not going to be a single politician. We have you know, great politicians, and uh, Gavin Newsom, uh, Patrick Kennedy, you know, really good people. It's not going to be a single drug. We have some good new research, you know, in, in the pipeline, but few and far between. Uh, it's not going to be early intervention because early intervention is good for people who you, you catch early, but it's not good for people who are sick for, you know, a number of years. But what's going to change everything is people doing exactly what you're doing now, Matt. It's, it's advocacy, it's activism, it's, it's uh, you know, it's people marching and stopping the flow of destruction as Patrice has done in Los Angeles and demanding change as many people are doing around the globe. Yeah. When this wins the best, you know, documentary Oscar, which it should, what will you say on stage? Yeah, it's a, it's a very thoughtful question. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but I think that I would <laughs> really I thank the families and, and, and the patients who let me into their lives and trusted me to tell their story knowing that this is a story that is shrouded in shame and, and secrecy and people hush about it. And, and, and that's what the insurance carriers and the lack of research. And, uh, and I, I could say even the you know, people who benefit from this broken system are, are banking on that. We're, we're not going to say much. We're going to keep our, our heads low and our mouths shut. So I say that you know, this film marks a watershed moment for us in mental, mental health advocacy that we're not going to take it anymore and we're going to demand change. Yes. Okay. Um, I have two more questions for you. And like I mentioned, I lost my sister to mental illness and, and substance use. And so, hearing your story about Meryl and just uh, that I can relate so much to, she really was this amazing person. And um, um, if she was around today, um, what would she, what, how proud would she be of you, of this film? 
Well, it's a, another great question. Uh, I, you know, I think that Meryl in Heaven is very proud of the film. I think Meryl, when she was on Earth, was ashamed of realness and said, there's nothing wrong with me. Stop bothering me. Uh, stop telling me I need treatment. Just leave me alone. My problem is not psychiatric. So it depends which Meryl we're talking to. Uh, but I think Meryl, who's enlightened now uh, and somewhere, you know, in, in the spirits is, is, is really, you know, shining down on this. But at the time, Meryl was, you know, fighting her illness. And of course, you know, that's what we all do in our lives. We're often, whether you have a mental illness or not, you know, we're often our worst enemies and we fight against the very thing that could help us. Yeah. Okay. The last thing is at the end of all of our meetings at Mental Health Association Oklahoma, our CEO, Mike Bros, he says, go do good things. And it's our rallying cry. And so, what I do at the end of every podcast is I ask our guests to share a little bit of wisdom, a little bit, you know, whatever you would want to leave with the audience and then tell the audience to go do good things. So, Dr. Roseberg, if you would do me the tremendous, great honor of sharing a bit of wisdom and saying, go do good things, we'll be done. Well, okay, great. Well, thanks also for having me. But the, the best wisdom I have comes from Adrienne Kennedy. I don't know if you know Adrienne. She's the president of the board of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And she's become a good friend. And Adrienne says whenever she goes to the grocery store, she tries to talk about her late son who died from a serious mental illness at least five times. And she says, oh, my son would have liked those groceries or, you know, or how are you doing today? I'm thinking about my own son. So it's a, it's a, it sounds like a sort of simple and maybe almost silly thing to do, but Adrian makes sure that wherever she goes, she lets people know that she is a proud mother of someone who has a serious mental illness or in her case had a serious mental illness because he passed away. Um, I think that's what we need to do. I think that's how we could do some good. You know, just what you're doing now, Matt, in this podcast, you talked about your sister. That does a lot of good. Let's people know that, A, you know, you're, this, this illness is not outside of us. It's inside of us in our families. And secondly, let's people know that, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to hide out. You're, you're going to stand up for what you believe in. So I would say we could do a lot of good by continuing to do what, what, people in your group are doing, which is stand up for good. Awesome. And if you can just say, go do good things, that would be fantastic. Go do good things. <laughs> oh man, you are doing so, you have already done so many good things. You are going to continue to do good things. Uh, Dr. Rosenberg, thank you so much for your film, your book, your advocacy for everything you've done. Thank you so much. And you have a wonderful day. Great. You too. And hope to see you in Tulsa one of these days. Yes, sir. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Take care. COVID-19 has impacted the people Mental Health Association Oklahoma serves every day. People impacted by mental illness, homelessness, substance use, and justice involvement. And we continue to serve the most vulnerable in our communities, but that's coming with many unexpected expenses. We have established a COVID-19 relief fund to assist us in the emergency services we are providing. Help us serve our participants in need of rental assistance, mental health care, food and shelter, and other basic necessities. Go to Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Facebook page to contribute or visit our website at mhaok.org and hit the donate button at the top of the page.